Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more information or you want to listen to more things that we're doing or check out sermons or ministries or things like that, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Exodus 16, we have a wonderful set of verses here telling us one of the stories that we've used probably many times, whether it be Sunday school or, you know, just random happenings. Uh, Verse two is always interesting to me. The whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This sounds familiar at this point in Exodus, does it it not? You're cranky people. (laughs) Now, in fairness, again, and we've, we've kind of intimated this, whether it be small group questions or sermons, some of their grumpiness makes a little bit of sense. I mean, you're in desert, you're trying to figure out what you're going to eat. You might, your grumpiness might be self-imposed in the sense of I'm hungry and I want to take care of, but I can give them the benefit of a doubt here and say, oh, maybe it's just they're looking out for their kids, right? Or their, their elderly walkers who are saying, you know, I can handle this for a couple more weeks, but you know, Ethel over there can't, mm-hmm. or I just made up a name. Do you think yeah, Ethel that's, was that's a good Hebrew name. Probably a common Hebrew name. <laughs> Rosario over here. No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> but Juan. Wha- Juan. Well, yeah. Juan, oh, that's a good one. Um, so what, what are, you know, you brought this up in the sermon kind of briefly, but I feel like we need to talk about some of the timing issues of 16. So what are some of the things that pop out to you in that regard? Well, First of all, what's popping out to me in this moment, it, which would not be noticed by those listening to a podcast, and that is uh, a little bit like our offices and our desks. Um, your area of the podcast room is just clean and simple. You have yourself and your computer. <laughs> and over here on my side of it, I have uh, two study Bibles, my computer, and a paper with a bunch of scribbles on it, uh, which really signifies the fact that I myself am one of those people that really still like books and I like to have them. And I, so I like my study Bibles, like to be able to touch them and, sure. you know, underline and things like that. Whereas you just sit over there with your two computers, that, that of your mind and that of your, <laughs> my two you, computers. Of your, your computer. So true. That's good. Anyway, it's just an interesting thing just between the two of us, how, how we work. I do like to use my computer too, but I do love my paper anyway. So you do, you, I, I've got you're the, old school. I've got that, uh, got that going on here. Yeah. But yeah, there's some interesting things happening here that that can trip people up, especially Bible critics yes. want, want to use some of these things to say, um, oh, that there's a an inconsistency, therefore, therefore this Bible cannot be trusted. Sure. And so timing is one of those issues that they want to use. Um, they they want to do things to say uh, that tells me this is not a historical writing here because all of a sudden um, there's some timing issues and we see a few of them there, don't we? Yeah. And it really neglects the idea of what the Bible itself is even purporting about itself or, or, or reporting about itself there. I, I think people think Moses just sat down every day and wrote in his diary. Yeah. And then that became Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yep. In which case, how could he possibly have added some of those those commentaries? Sure. It's it, and it's that, and it's also the fact of they think that he's honestly just writing these things as they go about in the wilderness. That's just physically not possible, folks. Whether it be 
the fact that you don't have access to materials like writing materials and stone to, you know, he's not going to pull stone aside and chisel every single day. He's got a lot of things going on. You're going to see this in Exodus 18. He has daily court decisions he has to make. So imagine if you're wandering the wilderness with, you know, some scholars have said up to three and a half million people. Yeah. And you're the only person talking directly to God. Think of how busy you and I are with considerably less than 3.5 million people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No kidding. And there's days where I just know, like, I can't write down what happened today, nor is it that significant to me. But 20 years from now, I might look back on one of these days and go, whoa, I didn't even realize that that innocent conversation you and I had about such and such led to this conversation down the road. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yep. I mean, even think about our church planting discussion here at Park Hills. It began with me writing a paper in seminary and sending it to you saying, hey, here's what I'm writing these days. What do you think? And you probably send an email back, something like, sounds good. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah. We, we like to give Mark a hard time about his short email responses. I get right to the point. But what you said in that, that, that sounds good, you know, real nice. You also said, hey, let's grab breakfast when you're back in town. And so I came into town for a holiday weekend with my family to celebrate Christmas or something. We stayed a few extra days and you and I had breakfast at the Big Apple and we just started talking through what are the parameters of this? And you kept saying, and I'm looking at your face because you, even you probably don't remember this conversation as well as I do. Yes. Surprise, surprise. But you kept saying, what if you did this rurally? Because mm-hmm. I was talking about an urban church plant in Milwaukee and you said, what about rurally? And so then we just started discussing, okay, here's what I would do, but I'm not doing it, Mark, because I'm not coming back to Freeport ever to work with you on this. I love that you said that too. Repeatedly. But that conversation didn't mean as much to me then as it does now, now that we've actually planted a campus in Winnebago and we have a couple other towns, you know, we've helped plant a church in Sterling. That was, that was on our list. And we've also talked about Stockton with the church and we've talked about areas like Savannah with the church. So they know that we're, we're, we're actively pursuing individuals to plant churches. Well, that conversation way back at the big apple, you know, 11 years ago now has a much bigger significance at this moment in time sure does. than it would have then. So I wouldn't have necessarily spent that day writing, and the Lord did this and this and this. So take that idea and bring it into Exodus 16. Yeah. While this is a major argument that people are having with Aaron and Moses, we don't know when Moses scribbled this down. We don't know at what point in Moses's life, and if he's answering court cases all day for 3.5 million people, he doesn't have time to like. Oh, a dear diary. Today, the people were mad at me because they didn't have enough food. However, 20 years from now, this moment, Moses very likely could have written it down then and said, I didn't realize the significance of that, but this is important here. And then I think you likely also have Moses writing multiple stories down and individuals like Joshua and others after Moses dies saying, this is how we're going to compile these in the order of what they happened or the significance of how they happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and that's what throws people off. And I think we've got to go back and say, let's let's be careful with our textual criticism and not and not get so sideways with tense and things. And and go back and remember. Um, and I was just teaching my my two youngest daughters this the other, the other night. Uh, all scripture is is God breathes, correct, and is useful for teaching. And I wish you all could see the motions he's doing right now, rebuking correcting and training in righteousness. You need to go back into VBS land. Like yeah. you're, that is, that is ready for VBS yeah. right there. I did motions for all that. Yeah, Cause that's, that's what I used to teach, teach my girls at that. But, 
but the reason I did that too is just to go back and say, okay, let's let's be careful here because we've got to consider some of the writing techniques. And part of what makes uh, a chapter like Exodus 16 uh, critiquable, if I if, to use that word, yep. would be that if you read it as you know, if you read it thinking it were written like a journal page of, of Moses as he's writing this as he goes, you'd you'd have trouble with the fact that there's a lot of present tense in it. But then you run into a couple of times where you go, wait a minute, that can't be present tense. Correct. You've got issues of the law. Is the, that one's easier to correct? I think because you're, he says, "Follow my law." Well, what's the law? We immediately want to go to the Ten Commandments, and that's you know. I think I address that in, in in the message and saying, "No, I think the law is just saying, listen, do what I said and do what I said about mm-hmm. uh, about the manna." But it's also we run into things like take the um, take the manna and put it before the, the, te- testimony. the testimony. Mm-hmm. Well, the testimony that uh, is really a reference to the ark, to, to the mm-hmm. tablets. So again, they don't exist yet. So now we got a problem. Oh, this can't be right because he's telling to put it before something that, that uh, does not exist yet in the timeline. We haven't been there yet. The tabernacle doesn't exist. Right. So how can this be? And then you've got some interesting issues of, okay, so where are you putting this before the Lord right. if you don't have the testimony? Because the Lord, we've got a theophany right. uh, of the, uh, the, the, the cloud and the, and the fire. So what are they doing? Just following, following that around with it. And so that creates some other interesting issues there. So we've got to be, uh, we've got to be aware of these things. And it's good that we observe them because sure. it means we're, we're reading the Bible closely. But uh, chronology can kind of tangle us up and, and even the whole comment of if it's if it's sort of just being written as it goes all of a sudden you've got this and and they ate manna for 40 years until they entered the land of canaan sure you know so that that tangles people up and in joshua 5 tells us that the the manna ends the day after the passover right uh as they're ready to go into Jer- jericho um so Again, that's jumping ahead forty years, but we're still in this timeline. Totally. So, we I think we got to be careful with some of those things and just how we do it, and just realize that uh, some of these things may may have been sort of parenthetical things that were added in by scribes, sure, um, or or sort of edited in as we go. But again, to take these things and go, okay, now I can't believe the Bible. That, that that's ridiculous. And I think I'm going to lean into a comment you just made. Because this, these things can throw people for a loop. So you just said could be added in by a scribe or could have been edited in. What some might hear as you're listening to this is, oh, Chris and Mark think that the Bible was edited by someone later on down the road. Folks, the Bible itself says that. It, there's, and, and that's not to say that the Holy Spirit isn't involved with, with that process. And so let, let me put it a different way that might put people more at ease. And I sort of intimated to this earlier. Imagine with me that Moses looks back on this day 20 years, 30 years later and writes the beginning of this chapter. Because I believe most of Exodus comes from Moses' hand. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I've read all the scholarship. I'm aware of some of the arguments. There's multiple scholars that try to push multiple authors and weirdness in it. I think the vast majority, the 
the skeleton, if you will, of Genesis through Deuteronomy is unquestionably Moses. I just, I can't yeah. get away from it, even partly because of how old the Hebrew is, how terse and strange it is. Like if you read the Hebrew in Exodus versus the Hebrew in Jeremiah, we're talking Shakespeare versus today difference. I mean, it's sure. way different version of the language. So at a well, minute, and I'm one of the few people that speaks Shakespearean these days. But. He does. He occasionally <laughs> just walks through the hallway quoting Othello. Uh, <laughs> I really hope he doesn't even know what Othello is. All right. So uh, there's this, there's these moments where like we, we read this and we think, okay, did Moses write it at all? I, I, I can't get away from it. I think he absolutely did. And if he's looking back decades later saying, look at how God was faithful to us in this moment. He strings 15, 16, 17, and 18 together to show all the ways in which God is faithful, right? The end of 15 yeah. is, you know, the bitter water. 16 is the manna. 17 is water again. And then 18 is Jethro faithfully coming in and saying, hey, you can't do this yourself. You need other people to help you out. So in the middle of those chapters, you watch, there's, that's a string of stories that just show God's faithfulness and God's provision yeah. in the midst of the desert. Uh, not even be, they're not even wandering yet. They're just in the desert moving toward the promised land. We haven't even had the rebellion that leads to them not getting into the, the promised land at this point. Then, then Moses is, is thinking about it later, writing these things in. Yep. Then Moses dies before the 40 years is even up. And if the day before they move into the promised land with Joshua, that's the day that the manna stops. Clearly, Joshua could have written that, that part of that verse and just yep. said, we ate the manna for 40 days and then it ended. And I believe Joshua is totally led by the Holy Spirit because the book of Joshua is a bunch of Joshua's thoughts along with some sure. other people. So there's no, there's no reason to believe that Joshua, quote unquote, as an editor, wouldn't have said, here's the order that these stories wanted to be. And the Holy Spirit's leading Joshua to do it. And I'm even open to the idea that it's a priest 100 years later saying, we have Exodus in a, in a strange form. Let's put it together. Oh, and this probably needs an editorial comment. This needs an editorial comment. And the Holy Spirit is guiding him you know, to say, this is how we're going to piece this together. And we're going to make the first reference to Sabbath, even though Sabbath hasn't been told yet because that's coming in chapter yeah. 20. Well, then you read Sabbath and you go, oh, what's that about? And then you get to 20 and you go, oh, interesting. And then you go all the way back to Genesis 3 and you're like, or Genesis 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. that's what the idea was, is God's resting on the seventh day. And so there's this constant reformulating of, especially the Old Testament, to get it to a spot where it's like, this is throwing ideas to us, making us think like, what does this even mean? And then you get a few chapters later, you're like, oh, interesting. And it's meant for us yeah. to read it and dig and really get into it. And we just don't even think like that because we often think of, I'm writing a letter, beginning, middle, end, sincerely, Chris Dukenberg, and we just send it off. And we don't expect there to be any you know, change to it whatsoever. That's not how this book was put together. And the book says so itself. Otherwise, it wouldn't say things like, and Moses was the most humble man. And there was no one as humble as him even to this day. Yeah. Is that David writing that? Is that Jeremiah writing that? Is yeah. that Isaiah? Like, we don't know who wrote that comment. To this day, yeah. But if it's to this day and it's like Tuesday and Moses <laughs> wrote that on one, Monday, you know, like, like that's not... <laughs> As of two days ago, Moses is the most humble person and there's never been someone to this day. That doesn't make any sense. But if you're talking 500 years later and there's still no one as humble as Moses in the, in the land of Israel, yeah. that's a commentary that's like, whoa, that's intense. We need to think about that. So, And I think going back to even your illustration about um, your writing on church planting, you know, if when you 
when you're experiencing something, you you remember sort of those high, high points. But if you go back then and review that and and put that all together, then it all makes more sense. I mean, talk about the the days years ago when when our youth ministry here ventured out and God led us to to plant another youth ministry in Martintown. Sure. You know, for me to go back and tell that story now, I can tell I can tell the details as well as my mind will let me remember them. But I, I can tell the details that I remember, but telling it from from this point now, I would I would be able to add in yeah. how it ended, how it you know, in which case that's the same thing as the manna, you know, sure. God provided manna. And by the way, we ate it for forty years. So right. when you look at it that way, it, it certainly makes it a lot more palatable to take in. Even the very uh, end, and, and uh, the the thirty sixth birth there of, of chapter sixteen, and Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Interestingly, we, still, we oh, use those as that. That's actually the measurements that yeah, we use I here asked, at church. Yeah. We are so holy. <laughs> I asked my wife to pour me an Omer of cereal this morning. Yeah, and we uh, typically talk about our communion wafers in Omers. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, an Omer is a tenth part of an ephah. Then you got to look at okay, what is an ephah? Uh, we uh, concluded that that is basically a bushel. So you think of a bushel basket of fruit, and so a tenth part of a, a bushel is a significant amount. But what's interesting is Omer is never used again. That's a, right. a one-time thing. We don't see it in Scripture anywhere else, which tells you, again, this is something being told later on because obviously Omer was something they used at that time, but the time that this is being written down, people go, oh, well, they, they don't know what an Omer is, so I better make a comparison there. Exactly. And there's no reason to believe that that makes Scripture less scriptural, no, no. nor does it make it not led by the Spirit to tell us these things. And whereas modern scholars sometimes will push it to that end, and we're saying, folks, we've heard the critique. We're not worried about it because there's, there's perfectly reasonable explanations for each of these things. So if you're in college right now and you're hearing somebody say, well, the Bible's full of editorial issues and things like that, you know, I've been studying this thing really, really in-depthly for almost 30 years now, and I'm more in love with Scripture and more convinced that it's accurate today than I ever have been. So if that's happening, then I'm going, all right, you, you're going to be okay. Just lean into it, yeah. trust it, and go, yeah, okay, there's perfectly reasonable explanations for why this is this way or why this says that. And it's not crazy. But at the same time, we probably need to step back from our perception or our understanding of how the Bible came to be. Most of us just think, like I said, that it's sort of a journal entry every day, and that's how Moses gives us the story. The Bible itself doesn't even suggest that that's true. You know, Jeremiah talks about hiring a scribe to write down some of his sermons and put them together in an order that would be an orderly account of what Jeremiah said. You've got Luke in Acts 1 and Luke 1 saying, I, I have written down all of these orderly accounts and I've made a full orderly account of what I've you know, conscripted and pulled together. This wasn't necessarily written the way some of us think it was written. So it's really our problem more than it is the yeah, Bible's our problem. Our hang-up, yep. Mm -hmm. Even little things like uh, it's interesting to, to dig deeper into the whole manna and what is it, um, and even just the different ways the Hebrew can be taken there. Um, you know, the, the manna, is not, manna is not a question, and so you got the uh, ma, it could be, Mahu, not as as well as man. I was interesting. I was, that's why I have my Bibles open here. I was going to read a bunch from the Net Bible, but I'm not, not going to now, just for the sake of time. 
but even just there's some thought that maybe even that man is really more of uh, an Egyptian, has some Egyptian sure. influence in it, uh, or even some Northwest Semitic languages. But just interesting little things that can that we can dig deeper into. But uh, if I couldn't echo your words anymore that the Bible is just so beautiful and so incredible and so fun to dig in and see what's there and ask those questions. Oh, it totally is. And I, and I think when you think about manna or, or mana and all the connections of God providing from the heavens to earth in people's moment of need, and like you did connecting that to then John six, where Jesus says what he says about himself, the fact that Jesus is born in Bethlehem house of bread you start just going, God, it's like you dropped all these little hints all the way through yeah. the scriptures and just said, pay attention. If you look close enough, you're going to see me and you're going to see my son. And when you understand he is who he says he is, and then I've done what I said I was going to do, you can't help but believe it and walk with him and trust him. Amen. Amen.